Parsha Noach. I'm going to do a little survey kind of of Parsha Noach this week to gain a little more insight and see how that can help us in our lives today, of course. I'm going to start. I always like to start out with some scripture. So let's just start in this week's Torah portion at the very beginning of Parsha Noach. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, on page 6. We're going to talk about Noach first. Noach, of course, of course was righteous. Um, Noach chapter, or Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, Parsha Noach begins like this. Here is the history of Noach. In his generation, Noach was a man righteous and wholehearted. Noach walked with, with God. Of course, he was a Zadik. That's That word righteous is um, Zadik. That's what it means, a righteous person. He was very righteous. Um, at the verse 22, um, down at the bottom of the page there, it says, this is what Noah did. He did all that God had ordered him to do. So simply put, being righteous is just obeying God. Obeying God makes one righteous. Um, he was just, just really as simple as that. Noah was a, uh, a righteous man. He wasn't perfect or sinless, but that's not what righteousness is. Um, obeying God makes one righteous. God defines sin in the revelation of his word, breaking God's rules is sin, following his rules is righteousness. It's pretty, that, it's that simple. This Parsha was just really, really good stuff. This Wednesday at a Torah club, we've been talking about um, the different types of people spoken of in wisdom literature. You have the fool and the wise. Um, you have the wicked and the righteous. You know, I imagine we would all prefer to be righteous rather than wicked, of course. But I can understand that certain learned religious traditions can make one reluctant to consider themselves righteous. A subject for another day. Noah, Noah back to the beginning. Here's the history of Noah and his generation. Noah was a man righteous and wholehearted. Noah walked with God, Noah fathered three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yephet. The earth was corrupt before Adonai. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and yes, it was corrupt. For all living beings had corrupted their way on the earth. God said to Noah, the end of all living beings has come before me. For because of them, the earth is filled with violence. I will destroy them along with the earth. Violence and corruption filled the earth at this time. Um, there's a couple reasons that the depths of the Torah commentary point out as to why the earth had become so corrupt. If you turn back a couple pages to chapter 4, or I guess back one page to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 23. This is Lamech. He is one of, he's Cain's grandchild. Lamech said to his wives, Adah and Zilah, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear what I say. I killed a man for wounding me, a young man who injured me. If Cain will be avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy sevenfold. And so here, Lamech is very vengeful, and the amount of his vengeance isn't just um, sevenfold, it's seventy-sevenfold. And it seems logical that if this attitude would become the norm of violence in his time, then 
Um, violence begets violence, and if everyone employed this attitude of vengeance, killing would be commonplace. That's one of the um, one thing that the commentary suggests as one of the main reasons for um, there being so much violence. The other one's at the bottom of this page in verse or chapter six. Chapter six, it says, uh, verse one: In time, when men began to multiply on the earth, and daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. Adonai said, my spirit will not live in human beings forever, for they too are flesh. Therefore, their lifespan is to be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterwards, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. These were the ancient heroes, men of renown. There's a couple of different ways to interpret this little section of scripture. I prefer the one that sees this as angelic beings consorting with human women to create Nephilim. It's sort of like sowing um, tares among the wheat. The adversary knows that the serpent is, the serpent knows that the seed is going to crush his head. So what better way to try and prevent that seed from growing than to poison and corrupt the soil around it, to corrupt the human race. And notice in verse 4, just kind of as a side, it says that um, in those days and also afterwards, in those days, of course, they will be um, killed off in the flood, but also afterwards means the adversary plans to utilize his corruption of people in the future after the flood as well. So these are a couple of reasons why there's so much violence going on. Uh, the end of last week's Torah portion finishes off in the Maftir. Adonai saw that the people on earth were very wicked, that all the imaginings of their hearts were always of evil only. Adonai regretted that he had made humankind on the earth. Isn't that like incredible to even read that? It grieved his heart. Adonai said, I will wipe out humankind whom I have created from the whole earth, and not only human beings, but animals, creeping things, and birds in the air, for I regret that I ever made them. But Noach found grace in the sight of Adonai. Noach, he is, he is righteous, he was obedient. He found grace. This is the first time that grace is used in the Bible, Ken. And interestingly enough, Noach's name is Nun Chet, and the word for grace is just those two letters backwards. Noach backwards, it means grace. Isn't that even more like... It's a nice little fun fact, but there's some deep uh, teachings on that as well. Anyways, Noach was many things. He was also a preacher of righteousness, 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. He was a preacher of righteousness. Stern uses the word herald. I think preacher is a little bit more helpful. He preached to the people. He built an ark. When you continue reading uh, after verse 14, uh, he gives lots of different details on how to build the ark. And then as John read for us today, he loaded the ark with uh, all kinds of animals, shut the door, and uh, walked out about a year later onto a new world of sorts. Noah was uh, obedient, Noah was um, full of grace, and he was righteous. He walked with God. We find just the opposite of Noah 
also in this week's Parsha, in the man of Nimrod. Nimrod first appears in the genealogy of Noah. It's in chapter 10, verse 8, just over a page or so. Uh, Genesis chapter 10, verse 8, um, gives us where he comes in the genealogy of the sons of Noah. Verse 8 says, Cush fathered Nimrod, who was the first powerful ruler on earth. He was a mighty hunter before Adonai. Uh, this is why people say, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before Adonai. His kingdom began with Babel, Erech, Akkad, and Kalneh in the land of Shinar. Now the Kumash notes that, Tim, that Nimrod is called a mighty hunter. But Rashi and other commentators interpret this figuratively. They, in, they interpret it that Nimrod ensnared men with his words and incited them to rebel against God. Nimrod was very charismatic and very rebellious and was able to get many people to follow him. He built empires. His first, of course, was Babel, and that was later became the center for Nebuchadnezzar's Babylon. And of course, he was rebellious once again, and he was wicked, incited men to war against God. And that spirit of rebellion and a spirit of wickedness that Nimrod had has infected people in every generation since. The story of Babel is the story of Nimrod's first great rebellion that begins in the next page, chapter 11. Bereshit or Genesis chapter 11, will begin in verse 1. The whole earth used the same language, the same words. It came about as that as they traveled from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and lived there. And they said to one another, Come, let's make bricks and bake them in a fire. So they had bricks for building stone and clay for mortar. They said, Come, let's build ourselves a city with a tower that has its top reaching up to heaven so that we can make a name for ourselves and not be scattered all over the earth. Adonai came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. Adonai said, look, the people are united. They all have a single language and will and, uh, see what they're starting to do. At this rate, nothing they set out to accomplish will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse their language so that they won't understand each other's speech. So from there, Adonai scattered them all over the earth and they stopped building the city. For this reason, it is called Babel, or confusion, because there Adonai confused the languages of the whole earth and from there Adonai scattered them all over the earth. Now according to the sages, it was Nimrod who was the primary source behind the rebellion here at Babel. And I checked, Mark, even John MacArthur agrees with the sages that Nimrod built Babel and was the primary source of worldwide rebellion. Now, there's something that I found stunningly and just, I'd never heard this before. The Kumash also goes on to note that not only was Noach still alive at this point, this is the year 1996 from creation. Noach's pretty old, really old. So this is the year 1996 from creation. It's 5783 now, so if you do the math, the Tower of Babel was 3,787 years ago. 
Not only was Noah still alive at this point, but Abraham was 48 years old already and had already recognized his creator when the rebellion here at the Tower of Babel happened. So if you think about it, all the people are there, all the peoples, they all have the same language, they're all gathered together, and they have these wise men like Noah and Abraham walking around that they could um, tap into and find out how to get closer to God, but they don't go to Noah or Abraham, do they? It's Nimrod that captivates them. Nimrod's somebody who is mighty, yet somebody who is very charismatic. Maybe he was handsome, strong, powerful. And when you have a personality that's like that, Noach, when you think of Noach and Abraham, you think of humble and humility. When you think of Nimrod, you think of power and charisma. Those are the people that oftentimes attract people for no reason. Or for that reason, particularly because of the charisma and their power. Adonai, in his mercy, didn't destroy all the peoples again. He dispersed them, creating the nations, and here we are. So you can see a contrast here between um, uh, the ark and the tower, the two construction projects in this week's Parsha. One was done by a righteous man under the direction of God for a divine purpose. The other by ungodly men under, under the direction of a wicked man for rebellious purposes. In both cases, the general public keeps making bad choices. I mean, mankind, when it's detached from its creator, thinks it's modern and progressive, but they devolve into rebellion and wickedness. It was the same then, and it's pretty much the same now. There's nothing new under the sun, as I was reminded recently by Dina. But there are some very unique things. Babel was a unique event. All the nations of the world were there, and they all spoke one language. They were able to communicate with each other, and they had a selfish, selfish purpose. And it was rooted in rebellion, and it was led by wickedness. When is the next time in history, in the history of the world, that do all the nations of the world come to meet together for a united purpose? I mean, there's coalitions, there's world wars. Those are groups of countries. That's not all the countries on the earth coming together, even if it's in the same building where they all kind of sit in rows and have the flags of everybody out front and can come together for a common purpose. I am merely suggesting that an organization like the UN seems to meet the unique criteria that Babel had. All the nations are there. Now you're going to say they all don't speak one language, Mike. Well, once again, man always tries to figure out a way to uh, get around God, right? When you look in there, they're all wearing the little earpiece, the translator's right there. So all the members from all the nations are there. They're all talking to each other and can understand each other, and they all have a common purpose, make life better or whatever they think they're doing. Sure, there may be wars amongst themselves. As John read in Matthew 24, there's wars and rumors of wars, yet at the same time, um, they're all still gathered together. The one thing they're missing is that Nimrod-like leader, a leader who is rebellious and who is wicked, yet who enchants men with charisma and deceives the masses. Somebody who is uh, handsome and powerful and speaks really well and eloquent, right? Dresses very nice. 
they're missing that Nimrod-like leader. This rebellious Nimrod-like leader, I see, as spoken of, of, is the man of lawlessness spoken of in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. This will be the last uh, scripture we'll be in today. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 is somewhere around 14 and the complete Jewish study Bible, 1480 maybe, uh, 1478. 1478, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we're getting warnings here of uh, the coming of our Lord, right? Um, we'll start in verse 1. But in connection with the coming of our Lord Yeshua the Messiah and our gathering together to meet him, we ask you, brothers, do not be easily shaken in your thinking or anxious because of a spirit or a spoken message or a letter supposedly from us claiming the day of the Lord has already come. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way. For the day will not come until after the apostasy has come and the man who separates himself from Torah, what, that's the lawless one, has been revealed, the one destined for doom. He will oppose himself to everything that people call a god or make an object out of worship. He will put himself above them all so that he will sit in the temple of God and proclaim that he himself is God. Don't you remember that when I was still with you, I used to tell you these things, and now you know what is restraining um, so that he may be revealed in his own time. For already, this uh, separating from Torah is at work secretly, but it will be secret, secretly only until he who is restrained is out of the, restraining is out of the way. Then the one who embodies separation from Torah will be revealed and the one whom the Lord Yeshua will slay with the breath of his mouth and destroy the glory of his coming. When this man who avoids Torah comes, this is the lawless one. This is the one who has the spirit of Nimrod and that charisma of Nimrod with him. When he comes, the adversary will give him the power to work all kinds of false miracles, signs and wonders. He will enable him to deceive in all kinds of wicked ways those who are headed for destruction because they would not receive the love of the truth that could have saved them. The man of lawlessness may very well already be here. He just hasn't taken his place yet. It may not be his time, but it sure seems like the time is close. There's good news here and there's bad news here. The bad news is, of course, you can see how this is playing out. You can see how Nimrod... Nimrod and the Tower of Babel foreshadow what is being played out in the world today, with nations already beginning to come together in a worldwide way, unlike ever before, and how rebellious and wicked many of the nations are. All that is uh, missing is that lawless one, that one like Nimrod, to reveal himself. That just means more wickedness. That's not good. The good news is that when you talk about Parsha Noach, we can also see the kingdom foreshadowed in here as well. When you think about the ark that Noah built, the ark represents the kingdom in a way. It is a sanctuary of life that is um, brought out of a corrupt world. Everything inside of that ark is peace. Inside that ark, you have predators in peace, right next to prey, lion and lamb lying together inside the ark. 
You have Noah that foreshadows Yeshua. They both pleaded with the wicked generation to turn back to God and pursue righteousness. Even the rainbow foreshadows Yeshua's redemptive work. The rainbow was a sign of peace between God and this still sinful humanity. And Yeshua is a complete reconciliation between God and this still sinful humanity. Noach and his ark foreshadow Yeshua in the kingdom. And Nimrod and his tower foreshadow the, uh, the lawless one and the uh, nations that come against Israel, both in the same Torah portion. Parsha Noach is the tale of two efforts, one where a rebellious man labors for God and one where wicked labors for rebellion. The way of the world, the tendency of humanity, is to choose himself, his own ways, his own desires at the expense of everyone else. The way of life, of course, is in Yeshua. It's um, denying self and following him and being the disciple of him and loving others like him. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, of course, gives us these warnings about the end of days, which is alarming, but these warnings end with words of encouragement and hope. Um, Continuing in chapter 2 and verse 13, but we have to keep thanking God for you always, brothers whom the Lord loves, because God chose you as first fruits for deliverance by giving you the holiness that has its origin in the spirit and the faithfulness that has its origin in the truth. He called you to this through our good news so that you could have the glory of our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah. Therefore, brothers, stand firm and hold to the traditions you were taught by us, whether we spoke them or wrote them in a letter. And may our Lord Yeshua, the Messiah himself, and God our Father, who has loved us and by his grace given us eternal comfort and a good hope, comfort your hearts and strengthen you in every good word and deed. Amen and amen to that. May may the Spirit dwell within us and comfort us and strengthen us and may Yeshua who dwells in our hearts inspire us to seek righteousness like, like Noah and may Adonai be merciful and true in judging the hearts of us all. Shabbat Shalom.